get ready for Mental Flock with Jeff and Bishop. Grab your snacks. It's about to get real. All right, all right, all right. This is Jeff, Bishop, and... AJ. And we are here to talk yes, about AJ's here. Tower. Yeah, finally here. <laughs> Reschedules, COVID, family matters, birthdays, holidays. We've made it past. It is now... Falling and being a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> Gravity was not your friend. <laughs> it is now December 26th, the day after Christmas, and we are firmly planted in the kitchen. We just recorded an episode that you guys will get to hear before this one. It's a little spooky, a little kooky, a little ranty. It'll be a fun time. And about as long as a normal episode, it's a little bonus for you guys for being uh, understanding of why we did not have our December 13th launch. So to kick it off, once again, I am Bishop. Over here is... Jeff! And... AJ. We're going to talk about AJ's Tower. But before that, Jeff, what weird psychotic question do you have for AJ today? If you were stuck in a gladiatorial fight to the death. You had to use some sort of ancient weapon to defend yourself with. What weapon would you use and why? Good question. Me being kind of a short guy, I think I would want to use the ball and chain to keep people away from me. Crowd control. Yes. <laughs> That's a good question. It's kind of funny because, yeah, like I... I asked that question to Bishop, and he kind of said the same thing. Me being a shorter guy, well, his thing was a spear. All about having that reach. Well, yeah, the spear, but the ball and chain, you're swinging it around. You can keep people away from each side of you. The spear, you can only go one way. So. I feel like we're going to have to get some foam weapons and test this theory. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So my weird-ass question going to get a little more personal. Oh boy. What was your biggest fear about doing this episode? My biggest fear about doing this episode is people finding out the real me, finding out my past. It's not so sunshine and roses and the fear that people might look at me different and hate me because of some of the stuff that I've done in my past. I think you'll find if anybody uh, does hate you for what you've done in your past, you're going to realize that they're not part of your tribe. True. You've heard Jeff's episode, you've heard my episode, and you, you know that we're not sweet, innocent little angels, <laughs> no matter how much I say I am in the chats. But it's made us who we are today. Yes. It's been the physical sifting of our lives and our understanding formatting us into the better people we are. Yes, exactly. And that's what I'm hoping that this is going to open people's eyes and see, hey, AJ really knows his shit, knows what he's talking about, knows why he wants to do these groups and help people. But at the same time, what the hell did he do? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we all have our WTF moments, but truly, I think you will find that people will reach out and they'll be helped by you sharing your experiences. Would you agree there, Jeff Fafar? Oh, definitely. So with doing that, I mean, like I said, I absolutely hated doing the Tower episode. This is the shit about my life I don't like sharing. But with that, just doing that, you know, we're not even getting to the the rise, like what's happened since then, like how we've improved, what we've learned, what we've grown. It just We're just 
going into the shit. This is where the wheels fell off the bus. And the feedback that I'm getting from people is, you guys doing this, just willing to like bury your shit, this is giving me the courage and the inspiration that I need to finally like unlock that shit that I have buried in the backyard and take a good look at it and examine it and be willing to tell my story and be able to like own my shit and say like, yeah, this is, this is what happened. Yes. But I, you know, I can sit here and say, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like this person over here, that person over there, my trauma, my abuse, blah, blah, blah. But this is giving me an opportunity to take a look at that box, open it up and say, yeah, like all of these things, these were things that I couldn't control, but this is my part in it too. This is how I could have reacted better. This is me taking accountability and realizing that, yeah, like shit happened. Nothing I can do about it now, but I, I can realize like I'm willing to talk about it. I'm willing to share this and I'm willing to own what I did and where I fucked up and where I can still stand and improve. To own one shit is a powerful thing. Yes. Oh, indeed. All right. So, AJ, you have some online chat groups, and I, uh, I've plugged them in the past, but now it's your turn to tell us what they're all about. <laughs> so, we have Salt Lake City Singles Chat. It's a group where Utah singles, and uh, just a place where we can come and chat and talk to each other, get to know each other. Hopefully, y'all find somebody that you want to be with. That's my ultimate goal because I have my person and I want everybody else to be able to have the chance to find their person. And it gives each person an opportunity to just be who they are and open up and feel free to say anything and just be comfortable. Now it is PG-13-ish, so there is nothing risque. I mean, I never try to push the rules. Oh, no. Nobody ever tries to push the rules. No, no, no. We try to have fun. There are a couple of rules, but just come in and have fun. Just be yourself. And then we have the adult group chat. The adult place. Uh, And it's a place to just come in and let your hair down, do whatever the hell you want, say whatever the hell you want, expose yourself all, all you want. You'll see dicks. You'll see tits. You'll see everything else in between. And just go out there and have fun and just be yourself and be respectful, though. Be very respectful because we do have some serious rules that you have to follow. And if you do break these rules, you will be kicked out very fast. And the memes are on point in that group. Yes, yes. So, AJ, uh, you and I met through one of your chats. I was kind of trying to break out of my little hermit shell. I decided that was a good way to kind of bridge the gap. And that's when you learned about the podcast, and you've actually listened to all of our episodes. So tell us, what do you think of this experience? What do you think of the podcast? I think it is absolutely amazing and awesome idea. It's something that I've wanted to do for a while myself, but haven't been able to break out of my own shell to do it. But the fact that you guys are doing it, it gives me an opening to actually somehow opening myself up to doing something more than what I'm doing with the chats and with the groups and stuff like that. I've been uh, incredibly blown away by the feedback, the support, and the enjoyment of the podcast and my blog that I typically do weekly as well among the groups. Yeah, and I've read your blog and it's... If I could figure out how to do something like that better, I would. But there goes that word again, better, because... 
Better than who? <laughs> who do we know? I got to be better than myself. Do more gooder. Yes. <laughs> you know, ironically, my blog is almost my version of therapy. Yes. I find through writing, you know, you get better understanding and different thought processing. And while my blog has gotten rave reviews by a lot of people and touched a lot of people and they identify with the subject matter, at the end of the day, I write it for myself. And that's a lot of what people uh, read my poetry, the stuff that I write, and I do it for myself. I do it because it makes me feel better and I want to share it with people because it does help people that I've noticed. It does help a lot of people. People say, well, why don't you go get it, go get money for it, go... Monetize it? Yeah. I'm like, no. It's not what I do it for. I do it for myself. And if it helps somebody else out in the long run, hey, great. But I don't need to make money doing this because then it turns in, into something that is not what I want to do. So, uh, AJ, tell us, how old are you? I am 47 years old. And you've been married how many times? I'm on my third marriage. All right. And what is your day job? I am a... Local truck driver, I deliver produce for Harmons. I go f- from the warehouse to all the Harmon stores. So if you see that big old Harmon's truck out there, yep, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> what was your first vehicle? First vehicle was a 1972 Datsun B210 that was multicolored rust. And you put $5 in gas in the gas tank. 250 of it came back out on the ground at the gas station. <laughs> it was a rust bucket. I couldn't um, drive it during the night because if you turn, it, turn the lights on, it would go meep, meep, meep the whole way down the road. <laughs> it was a, I bought it for $100 and sold it two months later for the same $100. <laughs> We've gotten some introductions out of the way. We have a little bit of background. And for anybody who listens to the prior episode, you can actually get a little bit deeper understanding of AJ's natal chart, which was the first time he's ever heard it. How was that experience for you? It was eye-opening. It was exciting, but eye-opening and very fun in a weird sort of way. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Jeff, I believe you've already shown us the card for this episode, and AJ has some questions. What do you got for us? So I pulled the devil but in reverse. Now, the thing behind the devil is that the devil is all about the things that hold you back. It is the distractions, the temptations, your addictions, like whatever it is that, you know, we, we talked a lot about living in the box and the last little thing that we did. It is that box. It is the chains that are holding you back. Now, when we flip this upside down, well, it's interesting um, on this deck, this is the, um, this is gonna hurt tarot. And the, the imagery it has here, it has like Baphomet, but Baphomet's smoking a cigarette. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's about breaking, when you turn this upside down, it's, you know, having it up, the, the right side up, it's saying like, you've got shit that's holding you back. You've got these distractions, you've got these addictions, you've got this thing that you have to unload, this devil that you have to get rid of if you're going to move forward. But turning it upside down, this is a tale of triumph. This is about overcoming these devils. This is about, I mean, you, you showed us, AJ showed us on his app that he's, you've gone a year smoke-free now? Almost over. a year, almost a year. So uh, smoke-free, vape-free, no tobacco, nicotine whatsoever. 
So t you tell me, like, how, how do you feel like this is going to play as far as your story? Do that you... is an amazing card to pull because it just explains my life right there in that one card. So this is, so this is going to be a story about trampling those devils, yes. facing those demons, and slaughtering the fuck out of them. Yes. But this is going to be the bad side of that story first. <laughs> yes. I was hoping that I wasn't going to... I'm, I'm feeling tearful almost right now. Just that card just is just really... I didn't think I would go into tears, but I just might this episode. So <laughs> that's something I don't do very much. I mean, I feel like we almost made Ariel cry on on the episode. So, I mean, you got to do you, boo. There's no crying <laughs> in baseball. No, I'm just kidding. But there is in podcasting sometimes. <laughs> yes. So, uh, Jeff, unless you have any other questions, I think it's time to, to turn this over to AJ. What do you think, buddy? Yeah, let's turn it over to AJ. So, AJ, this is your story. You get to kind of lead this discussion. We'll have questions and banter along the way. But paint us a picture. How old are you? Where in the United States are we? What's going on? Born and raised here in Salt Lake. Never moved away except for six months when I moved to Texas when I got married my first time. Um, but I'm a Utah. Born and raised. I love it here. I can't move away. I can't leave. It's just my state. I hate the cold. I hate the snow, but I can't leave because it's Utah. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's it's an awesome place. And what time period is this story beginning? Um, just growing up, you know, you guys mentioned that you guys were born and raised LDS. And that was my, I was born and raised LDS, of course, being, being in Utah. I was my parents were strict, somewhat strict LDS, and I had to do exactly what they say, exactly how they said it, exactly when they said it, what they wanted, get baptized, do all that crap that they say you have to do. And it just, even from a young age, it just never felt right. You know, I got baptized and I mean, I don't remember actually getting baptized, but just the whole thought of getting baptized it just why did I do it you know I was the second of six children I have an older sister and then I have two younger brothers and two younger sisters my older sister is five years older than me and then my two brothers are three and four years younger than me growing up I was kind of left out to say because I was too young to do stuff with my older sister too old to do stuff with my little brothers. So I was kind of left out. So I was on my own to find friends, to do stuff on my own. That is where I ran into my first issue. I kind of want to explain my tower first because my tower isn't exactly a tower. It's more like a Jenga puzzle. When's it going to fall? What piece is going to fall? What piece is going to make it fall? It does not ever quite fall because those pieces are slid back in and they're angry pieces. They're pieces that are holding me like that double card it's holding me back you know but it's not quite falling but it's almost falling it's almost falling we're gonna slide that piece back in so i'm i'm like a jenga puzzle here if that makes sense that makes sense okay i was nine years old and i was just on my own riding my bike around in my neighborhood and i ran into this guy that worked at a retirement center for old folks. It's not a living place. It's just a, where they come to recreate. And he was a groundskeeper, custodian, and I became friends with him. Nobody else wanted to talk to me. I, you know, my friends were busy. He was an older guy and I just became friends with him. 
over the next few months, it became from friends to more. He was touching, kissing, you know, it was turned into something more. And then the winter time came and he disappeared. And I wondered what the hell happened. Well, the next summer came back and here he was again. And the same thing started over and over again. And he got me to thinking that this was the right thing to do. Guys being together was the right thing to do. And that my parents were wrong and my family was wrong. And I was so confused, but I couldn't tell anybody. He would tell me all the bad things that if I told anybody, he'd kill them all. Or he would take me away or bad things would happen. And I just couldn't say anything. Well, then winter time came again and he disappeared. But this second summer, he started getting me on smoking, smoking weed and using cocaine at 10, 11 years old. He just disappeared, but he introduced me to a bunch of people that I could get drugs. So here I am, an 11-year-old that's strung out and not knowing where I belonged in life. And my parents couldn't figure it out. I couldn't tell them. I... Me and my father never had a close relationship when I was growing up, and it just became an even worse relationship because I couldn't please my father no matter what. Now, going back to my father, he was an abusive asshole as it is. No matter what I did, no matter what I said, it wasn't good enough. If I got a C in school, he wanted to be. If I... If I playing baseball, if I didn't swing, well, I'm in trouble. If I did swing, then I'm in trouble. So I, playing baseball as a kid, I never swung a bat because I was too afraid of pissed him off, you know? My mom likes to tell me a story of when I was three years old of my dad going for a walk and I wanted to go with him, but my dad didn't want me to. And so I started taking off after him and got lost. And they found me and took me to youth detention. And they, my parents finally figured out where I was, you know, and got reunited. But my dad just didn't want to spend time with me. And I never understood why. So I felt like no matter what I did for my father, it wasn't good enough. And then I started getting bullied in, in school. People would push me around. I couldn't make anybody happy no matter what I did. It just wasn't good enough for anybody in school. People would laugh at me. People would make me feel like I didn't fit in here, fit in there. But at the same time, I fit in everywhere, you know. But people would use me and abuse me for this or that. You know, if I was with one group of friends, they'd send me into another group of, of people that I knew just to start shit so that they could come in and back me up. But I was the one that was the person that would be pushed around and... Then people would jump in and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't fight much, but when I did, it got ugly, you know. Um my father and I, no matter what I did, I couldn't make him understand who I was. And I ended up wanting to be completely opposite of what my father ever was. My father's claim to fame, and I'll stand up for myself no matter what. I will fight no matter what. If it's protecting myself, protecting my family, I will fight no matter what, but my father was completely opposite. My father's claim to fame of winning a fight was when he was back in fifth grade, a kid came up to him and punched him in the face, and the next day the kid came to school in a cast 
with a broken hand. That's my father's claim to fame. My father wouldn't stand up to anybody. He wouldn't fight anybody. If anybody came at any of us, he would back down. I remember an instant, and this still bothers me to this day, because you will give your life up for your kids. But we're at Bryce Canyon, and we're on one of the trails in Bryce Canyon, and my little brother slips off the side and starts sliding down. And it's a steep, long, steep hill. And my, bro my, my, my father just stood there and did nothing. And some strong, big guy out of nowhere came and saved my brother. And that's how it was growing up with it. We just never saw eye to eye. And I just never understood. I couldn't explain why we... My mom was afraid of him. The whole family was afraid of him, but he wasn't a scary guy. When I was about 16, my mom and dad got in a fight about something. And I don't remember what it was what they were fighting about, but my, my mom and dad went outside and my dad hit my mom. And something inside me let loose. I beat the shit out of my father. And the next thing I knew, the police were grabbing me off of him and he, his face was just totally jacked. He don't hit my mother. And I don't know where that came from. I don't know if it, I still to this day, don't know if it's something that I've blocked out because I don't know if my dad beat my mother even more before that. But something inside of me that day just clicked and I couldn't stop hitting him. Um, what was the fallout from that interaction? I got taken to youth services and everything was my fault. My mom is afraid of me. My dad wouldn't talk to me. And I got in trouble and I'm the one that got charges for beating the shit out of my dad. Even though he hit my mom, I'm the one that got branded a bad guy. None of my family, aunts and uncles, growing up, would come to my house. The only time I ever saw my aunts and uncles and cousins and stuff like that was at my grandparents' house. None of my family ever came to my house. See people with their best friends with their cousins, best friends with their aunts, best friends with their uncles, you know, really close to their family. And I'm like, why don't I have that? Well, you'll find out about why a little bit later, but it just really blew my mind away. Why can't I have that, you know? Just school was just rough. School was, I gave up the school. I gave up, everybody wanted to push me, do better, do better. I just lost interest in school. I got a job, started working, worked more hours than I did school, and eventually I dropped out. So at this point, were you still seeing the, the groundskeeper? Were you still doing drugs? No, he disappeared when I was 11 years old. The, the, the Christmas after I was, the, the wintertime after I was 11, he just disappeared out of nowhere. He just never came back, never, I don't know where he is to this day. He just disappeared. And it really threw me for a loop because what did I do? Why didn't I, why wasn't I good enough for this guy? Why wasn't I good enough for this person that they couldn't stick around with me? Why, just like my father, why wasn't I good enough? With my sister, why wasn't I good enough? You know, with my brothers, why am I not good enough? Why am I too old, you know? My mother defended my, my dad. My mother would tell me that I'm broken. My mother would tell me that 
June 14, 1975, when I was born, June 17, 1975, when I came home from the hospital, it snowed in Salt Lake City. And because of that, she knew I was going to have a screwed up life. What kind of shit is that to say to your kid? You know, the older we got, the more... I'm a mama's boy. I'm, I'm still a mama's boy to this day, but it's really hard because my mom puts me down all the time. You know, my mom still tells me that I was broken. She loves to tell people the story about when I was in high school that she would drop me off at the front door and I'd be right out the back door in five minutes, you know, because I didn't want to go to school. Because I didn't feel like I fit in. I didn't feel like anybody wanted me there. I didn't feel like I just wanted to go get high. I just wanted to say screw it and live my life the way I wanted to work, get high, and hang around with friends. Because I was not good enough for my family, so my friends became my family at that time. I wasn't close to any of my siblings. I wasn't close to aunts and uncles, but my friends would get me high. My friends would, they were my, they were my family. You know, they were who I wanted to be with, you know. In 12th grade, I got really stressed out, was having a hard time with a girl that I was seeing. And I ended up attempting suicide by taking a bunch of pills. Because of it, I spent three days in the hospital coming down from whatever it was that I took. And then they put me in a mental hospital for a week. While I'm in the mental hospital, now, remember, I stuffed all this stuff about the sexual abuse down to where I didn't even remember it. But I'm hearing other people talk about the sexual abuse while I'm in the hospital, and it just brought up the demons. And I faked my way through that mental hospital. I faked my way through getting better because I didn't, I didn't want to be in there. I didn't want to be part of that because I didn't want to hear about it. You, know, you didn't want to face that reality. I didn't want to face the reality. So I spent about a week and a half in that hospital and got out. And me and the girl were hanging out one day at the park. And I swear to God, I saw the guy that was abusing me. And I just flipped. I, I told the girl I got to go. I flipped. I started running home. I started tearing apart my bedroom trying to, I was just trying to bury myself because here he is coming after me and I still haven't told anybody. Well, at this time I'm on probation also because I got in some fights and with my dad and with a couple other people and I'm on probation and I tried to kill myself again. And after I got out of the hospital, my probation officer brought me into his office and asked me, What's going on? I'm like, nothing, nothing. I was just stressed. No, what is going on? And I completely opened up to my probation officer and told him everything that had happened. He wanted to call my parents and I'm like, no, don't tell my parents because my parents are going to want to, I don't know what my parents, they're going to blame me. It's my fault because it happened. It's my fault because, you know. And so he ended up calling my parents in anyway and telling my parents, and they put me back into another mental hospital. And while I was in there, I, I talked about my issues and talked about what happened, and my parents were there, and it just put a bigger rift between me and my father. And I don't know why. I didn't know why at the time. But the rift was just getting bigger and bigger, between me and him, and my mom was just 
the glue trying to hold us together. But at the same time, my mom was blaming me for everything still. Even though, okay, why didn't I tell her about the abuse? Why didn't I tell her about this? Why didn't, because would you have listened to me? Would you have understood? Would you have wanted to hear? Or I was just broken, you know? That's your story for everything. My brother rides my, my bike, falls off my bike and breaks his wrist. It's my fault. My brother jumps across the ravine, almost cuts his thumb off. It's my fault. Everything that my little brothers did, it was always my fault. Even if I wasn't around, somehow it's my fault, you know? And I just got to the point where I just couldn't say anything to them at all because it's always my fault. I told my probation officer, I went back into the hospital again. My parents heard the whole issues. And then a, a few months later, just I just... I wasn't fixed. You know, I faked my way through that one also. I wasn't fixed. I was still off getting high all the time, getting, I was angry, I was pissed off at the world. Here I am, 17 years old, and my parents kicked me out of the house. I'm not allowed to come back at all because I'm this scary dude. Instead of trying to figure out what's going on in my head, my parents kicked me out. And I go to live with a friend of mine in a piece of shit apartment that is so run down it's pathetic. But, hey, at least it's a place to lay my head, you know. Um, in the middle of this, I'm working at where I was working, at Smith's. And some friends of mine had gone car hopping and found checkbooks in cars. I want to impress my friends, so they write the checks out to cash, and I'm cashing it for them. I'm not getting anything, but they're thinking I'm cool because I can cast their checks for them, you know? I dropped one of the checks one day, and my boss found it, and I got arrested and charged with forgery. So now, I have no job. I'm living in a piece of shit apartment. I don't know where I am with my parents. My family hates me. So I go get a job at McDonald's with my brother because, hey... It's a job at least. The only money I had was going to rent. My roommate, she would go donate plasma. She would go sell drugs or do whatever just to get rent. And here I am working at McDonald's and I'm bringing home food that was going in the trash so that her and I can eat. I'm at the bottom of my, I'm completely defeated. I mean rotten food, I mean bad food. I'm living in a shitty place. No friends, no family. I lost all my friends that I thought because of this forgery. I'm going to through court. I end up getting charged with forgery, spending 30 days in jail and three years probation. But here I am thinking I'm at my worst. Here's my tower getting ready to fall. Jenga piece falls out. Okay. But it doesn't make it fall. I built, I... It goes down worse. April 17th, 1995. Got some bad weed. It was laced with something, and I don't know what the hell it was to this day, and I don't ever care to find out. I felt like I was dead. I laid in my bed, and it just felt like everything just drained out of me. I felt so cold. I felt so empty. I just laid there. And I was finally able to get up and walked into my roommate's 
bedroom. I'm like, feel me, something's going on. She goes, you're just cold as hell. And she held me that night and I didn't think I was gonna survive that night. And, but she just held me and that next morning I woke up and I just told myself, that's it. I can't use it anymore, I'm done. So I quit using and started smoking drugs, smoking cigarettes more and gave up my one passion, which is riding a bike because bike smoking, bike smoking. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it just turned into a shit show. So Thanksgiving, I got to back up a little bit. In 1994, I was seeing a girl and it never meant to turn into anything. She was dating a friend of mine and he got put away in federal prison for murder and other things. And she was pregnant. And the one thing that he asked me before he before he got put away was take care of my take care of my uh, kid. So I was going to be faithful to that and take care of his kid. So while she was pregnant, I was there for the whole pregnancy. I was helping her out. Well, she was a very promiscuous, very sex love sex all the time. You know what's the word? Nymphomaniac. Yes, nymphomaniac. Thank you. She was a huge nymphomaniac, and I'd get mine, you know. He's in prison. He ain't going to say nothing, but I'm taking care of his kids, his kid for him. And she kept trying to convince me that she was going to change for me, that she was going to be just mine, just mine. I'm like, nah, you ain't, no, I know how you are. I know how you are. You're not, you're not going to be just for me. I'm not going to be just enough. You're going to want it from everywhere else. No, 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 no. You know, she tried to convince me. I gave in. And I let her move into my apartment that I was living in. And I fell 100% in love with her. Even though I knew it was wrong and I shouldn't have. And she left, by this time the baby was born and she left the baby at her mom's house so she could move in with me. And I thought everything was great. I was happy or so I thought. She was just mine or so I thought. Thanksgiving of 1994 came. And me and a friend of mine decided to go down to southeastern Utah to go to his family's for Thanksgiving. And we're down there. And that night, my friend was like, you know, I miss my girlfriend. You mind if we go back early? It's your family. It's up to you. I miss my girlfriend, but it's up to you because it's your family. We're here. So we decided to drive back. And we stopped, picked up his girlfriend, drove to my house, my apartment. And I walked into my apartment and my roommate just had the look of death on her face. She was just like, what the hell are you doing here? I'm like, we came back early? And I'm like, oh, hey, what's going on? And I'm like, where's Dorothy? Her name was, the girl's name is Dorothy. And she's like, she's not here, she's not here. But her eyes kept darting to the bedroom, darting to the bedroom. And I'm like, Heidi, where is she? And finally she says she's in the bedroom. Well, I went to try to push the door open and it wouldn't open. So I kicked the door open and found her on top of another guy. It's one thing to be cheated on, but to actually see it is a completely different feeling. Because that's something you cannot unsee. The guy jumped up, grabbed his pants, and ran out the door naked. 
And I just stood there and didn't say a damn word because I didn't know what the hell to say. And then finally, I just told her, get the fuck out. I don't want you here no more. And so she called her dad and her dad came and picked her up. And while her dad was there, he said it was my fault. Everything that happens in this world seems to be my fault. And I wondered, why could this be my fault? Was it because I left? Was it because I didn't take her with me? Was it, why is it my fault? I don't know. But something clicked, it changed in me that day that I turned into somebody I hated. I turned into somebody I didn't want to be. I turned into her. I started seeing other people after that, just not caring, sleeping with whoever I wanted to, sleeping with the boss's cousin, you know, just not giving a crap. But it was lonely, you know. I thought, okay, this is the end, you know. There's another piece to my tower that should have fallen over, but I didn't fall over. I was just like, keep going. But finally in 1997, I met my wife through my dad's... Now, I have my father, then I have a guy that when I, uh, after all this with Dorothy, I moved in with, and he is 20 years older than me, and he became my dad. So if I say, say good things about my dad, that's, his name is Dale. You'll know him if I say something bad about my father, it's my actual father. So, just so you're not confused. You guys have any questions so far? Okay. I'm following along, Jeff. <laughs> no, I'm... I'm just sitting here listening. Okay. So I met my wife through my dad's girlfriend because she was living with us at the time. And my first wife was working with my mother, or my my dad's girlfriend, who's I call mom. It's a long story there, too, but I didn't go into it. But she was more of a mother to me than my real mom has, and he's more of a dad to me than my real dad. So, anyway, um, she came to my work. They came to my work because she had forgotten her keys to the house at home, so she needed my keys to get in the house. Well, my wife-to-be was with her, and I'm like, well, who's that? Who's that? Introduce me. Who's that? Who's that? No, no, no. You don't need to know her. Who is it? Just give me your number. Who is it? You know? So she's like, she's going back to Texas in a few weeks. Well, okay. Well, just give me your number anyway. I don't care. I'll get what I want, <laughs> and, you know, and leave. Um, so I got her, her, I got her phone number and we talked and she was only going to be there in, t in Utah for two more weeks. And then she was going back to Texas. She was here because her dad had a heart transplant at the VA hospital. And so we started talking. Two weeks later, she went back to Texas. Well, this is before cell phones, before they didn't have long distance, yada, yada. So I had all kinds of phone cards, and I would call her for five minutes at a time. And this was in October, when she, October, middle of October when she left. In January, I bought her a plane ticket back up here. And in June, we got married. Now... When I bought her a plane ticket back up here, everybody was asking me, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And we lived together. And when I met her, she was a virgin to every sense of the word you can think of. Never smoked, never did drugs, never drank, never kissed a guy, never been touched inappropriately, lived in a small town, Texas, population 365. 
before we got married, I took her virginity. But everybody kept asking me. My best friend would ask me. My dad would ask me. My whole family would ask me, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why are you going to get married to her? She's not, you're not ready. And she's not the one for you. She's not what you need. She's not, you're not ready for this. And my one friend said something so profound that I didn't understand until years, years later. He said, you're in love with the fact of being in love, which was absolutely true. June 20th, 1997 came and we decided we were gonna get married that day. Now, the night before we got married, we were sitting there talking and she asked me, are you sure this is what you wanna do? Are you absolutely sure this is what you wanted to do? And in my heart, I didn't want to do it. I really didn't want to do it, but what am I supposed to do? I took her virginity. I made her not innocent anymore. Am I supposed to just send her back to her mom's in Texas and just wash my hands and say, that's it? No, it's all my fault. I've got to stand up and take responsibility. Just before we were going to the Justice of the Peace's condo to get married. I walked into my work. I was working at a restaurant that day, at that, at that time, Dee's restaurant. And I walked into the restaurant, and one of the old guys that used to sit at the counter and drink coffee, he was an awesome guy, but he would say the weirdest things. I was dressed up in my suit. I walked by him, and he goes, what are you all dressed up for? I'm like, I'm on my way to go get married. He grabs my arm, looks at me, and goes, you'll be sorry. <laughs> <laughs> If I could bring him back to this day, I know he passed away uh, quite a few years ago, but if I could bring him back and say, you were right, <laughs> I should have listened to him. I went through with it anyway, even though there's all these signs telling me not to do it. I did it anyway. We had the wedding at the Justice of the Peace house, came back to the restaurant for our wedding dinner and whatever you want to call it. And later that night, I was at work. Boy, if that wasn't a screwed up way to start a marriage. <laughs> I wasn't happy. And she, I don't know what she was. I ended up connecting with an ex-girlfriend and had my first affair. But I got caught by my dad's girlfriend. She asked me, well, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just not happy, but well, why don't you end the marriage then? I just can't because I feel guilty and yada, yada. But then I ended up, cutting off with the ex-girlfriend. I cut everything off with her just because it was wrong. We go a couple years into the marriage and we've been trying to have kids. We're not having kids. We don't know what's going on. I go get tested, find out it's me. So I'm like, okay, whatever, fine. Well, let's have an open marriage. Okay, I go having, we go have an open marriage. I'm sleeping with other people. She's sleeping with other people. I get chlamydia from one of the people that I was sleeping with. Before that, sorry, I keep jumping over myself. You're fine. Um, New Year's Eve, going into 2001, we decide we're at a party. We're at a chat party. Um, we decide we're going to get divorced because it's just not working. But that night after the party, we go home and consummate that we're getting divorced, you know? And 
a few weeks later, I find out that I have the chlamydia. So she has to go to the state health department to go get tested. So she went and got tested. Well, she came out positive, but not for chlamydia. She was pregnant. And the first thing I asked was, is it mine or is it somebody else's? You know, everybody started questioning, is it yours or is it somebody else's? Now, we never got him tested. You can tell he's mine just by looking at him. He, there's, no, <laughs> there's no question, but all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I've got to stand up and be responsible. We can't get divorced because now I have a kid on the way. But I'm not ready to settle down. So I'm still out there sleeping around with a whole bunch of different people because I'm trying to find something that I've been missing this whole time. I'm trying to find my happiness, but I don't know where it's at. I can't find it because I'll find somebody, I'll sleep with them, I'm like, that's just not it, you know? That's just, I need to stay away from that because that's just not what I'm looking for. In the meantime, I blow out my knee. I'm introduced to the internet. Here it is, I could back myself up again, but here it is, uh, the year 2000, internet's starting to blow up, chat rooms are coming into vogue, and I can't work because I blow out my knee and I just had surgery. Chat rooms became my best friend. Hey, a different way to find women, you know? I find this girl in Oklahoma, and we're talking and having a great conversation, and I'm like, wow, this is everything I want. Communication, she's open, she's honest, so I pack up my car and go to Oklahoma. What the hell am I doing? I ask myself the whole way down there, what the hell am I doing? I get there, I'm there for about a month and everything was going great. Her parents loved me, her family loved me, but I'm just not happy. It's just not what I want. So I made up a big old lie and said I had to leave to go back to Utah to finalize my divorce or else I was gonna get in trouble. So here I come back, groveling back to my ex-wife, back to my wife at the time, groveling back to her and she takes me back, you know? In 2003, we get pregnant again, this time with my daughter. And she tells me that she wants to quit her job. I tell her, well, I want to get my CDL. It's something I've always wanted to do since I was a kid is get my CDL. It was, just, we had a discussion and finally she gave in and said, okay, I'll let you get your CDL if I can quit my job. And I'm like, okay. Her dad paid for me to get my CDL, and off on the road I went. Came back, uh, I went out for about six months, come home now and then, you know. And then about two months before the, she was due with my daughter, I came off the road to do local so I can make sure that I was there. And I started seeing somebody else very seriously at the time. We had an awesome relationship because we could talk, we could do this, we could do that. I could be myself. I could, it was everything I was looking for, you know? But I still felt guilty because here I am holding on to my wife that I need to let go of, that I can't get away from. But I don't want to lose my kids. I don't want to, I'm dragging them both along. That happened for about a year that I dragged this other girl on at the same time until she became pregnant and then had a miscarriage. I was upset that she had the miscarriage, but I didn't show the feelings that she wanted me to feel. And she knew at that time that I wasn't gonna leave my wife at the time. So she ended it with me. And I just went, it is what it is. You know, we had a great thing, but I've gotta be responsible and stay here. You know, I can't leave my kids. 
because the one thing I wanted to always do is be there for my kids, unlike my father, you know? So around that time, my little sister calls me from out of the blue and she's stuck in my parents' house and has to jump out the window and she needed help. So I go over to help my sister. Come to find out my father was trying to molest my sister. Come to find out he had been doing it to both of my younger sisters. Come to find out even more, he was doing it to a girl down the street. I tell my mom. My mom goes and tells the church. The church tells him to repent. Oh, God. Jeez. I was like, what the fuck? The church is putting their ideals ahead of the law? How are you not turning him in? You tell him to repent. I waited about a month, and I called the police myself. My mom, once he got arrested, blamed me. It's all my fault. How could I take her husband away? How can I do this? How can I do that? Why, is, why did you even get involved? I was protecting my sisters. My father had been molesting this other girl down the street for a couple of years now. He hadn't touched my sisters, but the sexual innuendos were there. And he was trying to peep in on my sisters. And you're a sick motherfucker. You know, how can you do that to your own kids? Finally, he got sentenced to prison. The last time I saw my father before he went to prison, I was working at the restaurant. And he he still liked to go for walks. That's one of his things that he did. I was outside at work smoking a cigarette. He comes walking up the street, starts to walk up towards me. I throw down the cigarette, walk in the house, walk in the building, and didn't want anything to do with him. I didn't have anything to say to him. Wanted nothing to do with him because he's a sick individual that needs help. He got sentenced to prison to five to life for what he was, for what he had done. And I went to his sentencing and his judge just, or not his judge, his lawyer was raving about how great of a guy he was and how this and how he was trying to go to church and repent and that he said sorry to the little girl, sorry to my sisters and this and that. And I was just pissed. Off. Okay, so I'm supposed to take responsibility for my issues, but he's not supposed to for his Screw this, I was pissed. I wanted to get up and yell at that lawyer so bad, but I can't, you know. I can't say anything to him. I couldn't talk to him at all. And that was the last time I saw my father for 15 years. It just opened up more in me that I needed to get away. I needed to cheat more because I was looking for something that I couldn't find. I was looking for my happiness. I was looking for what I didn't have with my wife. I was looking for everywhere else but there. Now, my wife was diagnosed with borderline personality, if you know anything about what that is. I would start to write stuff, and if it wasn't about her, she'd get pissed, which drew me further and further away from her. And I'd go out and find another woman here in this state, here in this state. I became that truck driver that you hear about that has one in every, every city, every state. And I hated myself for what I was doing. I hated myself for turning into something I didn't want to be. But at the same time, I was trying to find my happiness, trying to find something that wasn't there. You know, there's a song, and I can't remember who it's by, but it's a country song, trying to find behind the number two door. I opened the number one door, but always wanting behind the second door. Well, I always had something in front of the number one door, but never satisfied. I wanted more. I wanted more. What, what more did I want? I couldn't figure it out. I started seeing a girl in Nebraska. And we would, 
I would stop and see her every single time I went through Nebraska, and we kind of became started becoming serious, or so I thought. And she told me one day she was pregnant, and I was like, holy crap, okay, how are we going to make this work? I got my kids in Utah, she got her kids in Nebraska, how are we going to make, we, we, we were trying to figure it out. A couple weeks after that, her best friend calls me and said, you're not the dad. And I'm like, what? She goes, you're not the dad. She's been seeing this other truck driver also. You're not the dad. And I absolutely lost it. I blew up at her and said, how can you be cheating on me? The hell am I talking about? I'm married. <laughs> <laughs> and I told her to get the hell out of my life. I don't want to see her again. And another Jenga piece comes falling out. What am I doing in my life? What am I? I'm going to seriously end my life right here because I'm so unhappy. What the hell am I doing? I'm low again. I'm being a piece of shit. I'm not happy. I'm not. I don't know what to do. Well, I was talking to this other new girl that. I had never met. We'd never had feelings. We'd never had anything else. And we just started talking and she started helping me through this and saying that Molly, the girl that was pregnant, was just playing head games with me. And I let her believe, help me believe this. Now you'll see a pattern here. Okay. Melissa is my wife at the time. I started seeing Molly. Then I started seeing Misty. Catch it now? <laughs> Following the M's. Yes. <laughs> Um, so me and Misty, who lives in California, start seeing each other. I would go to California a lot. She would actually come on the truck with me a couple times. But what got really sad was that I couldn't go stop at home when they came to Utah because I can't tell anybody about her. Except for my cousin. My cousin knew. But why am I hiding this? You know, me and Misty got really serious and at the same time, it was really unhealthy because we would be on the phone with each other pretty much every waking moment. Even if I was on the phone with somebody else, I'd put her on hold and join the calls so she could hear the conversation while she was on mute because she was wondering what I was doing, you know, and wanted to know about my life. Um, Misty was a great, great woman. She was a great listener. She was, she would have given me the world, done anything for me just to make me happy. And I treated her like shit. I would still be on the internet and she would bust me in chat rooms and I'd, she'd be mad at me for a night and I'd apologize, apologize, apologize and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I kept doing the same thing over and over. Meanwhile, me and my wife are separated. Molly's pregnant but I haven't talked to Molly. And then during that time, my wife gets pregnant again. The one time we've been together in a year and she gets pregnant. So now I got two kids on the way. On my daughter's birthday of that year, Molly calls me up and says, she's had the baby, it's not mine, that's it. I felt like something was wrong there, but I couldn't figure out what it was. So I'm like, okay, and Misty was like, there, you don't have to worry about her. She's just done playing her game, just let her go. You don't have to have her in your life anymore. Meanwhile, I'd sit there and cheat on Misty while I'm cheating on my wife, which just sounds like a really weird triangle, weird story, you know? During the time that she was, my wife was pregnant, we would argue left and right, and she would be on bed rest because of how bad our arguments would be. And she knew all about Misty, and Misty hated her, she hated Misty, 
And Misty wanted to do everything she could to make me happy. But she couldn't move to Utah because her ex-husband wouldn't let her move to Utah. And so as me and my wife are going through our divorce, my sister-in-law is helping over the paperwork and puts it in the paperwork that whoever moves 250 miles away has to pay for transportation of the kids. Well, now I can't move to California because I don't want to spend that much money. I love my kids, but I'm not, I don't want to spend that much money. Misty gets pregnant and has a miscarriage a few, uh, about a week later. I wasn't upset. I wasn't frustrated. I wasn't, it didn't bother me at all. And Misty could tell. My son was born in April. And in June, I had my license come up for review. Well, the company that I was driving for at the time got bought out by another company and they wanted team drivers. Well, I refused to team drive. And so they did a review on my license. Come to find out it was suspended and I needed to clear that up. Well, they didn't want me to come back because I refused to team. And I couldn't, it was the economic downturn of 2008, 2009, you know. So I came off the road which meant I wasn't going to see Misty anymore. Misty gave me an ultimatum. Either move to California or we're done. I can't leave my kids. I can't. I, I, she couldn't leave her kids to move to Utah. I couldn't leave my kids. And so I had to make a really hard decision and I ended it. Instead of going to live with my wife when I came off the road, I moved in with my brother who him and I had become really close during this, during a few years, you know. I just came off the road and started having local jobs here and there, just not really committing to anything, not being serious about life at all, you know, just ho-hum, whatever, you know. And we started going through the divorce proceedings, but neither one was serious about doing it. I started dating a little bit more, a little bit here and there, just dated one girl and it just wasn't right. Then I dated another girl who ended up becoming my second ex-wife. We met each other in July, June of night of 09. And by September, we were living together. I wasn't divorced from my ex-wife. She wasn't divorced from her ex-husband. Perfect storm of rebound marriage for both of us. Her name was Michelle. Another M. <laughs> <laughs> so... The minute that I move in with my, with Michelle, Melissa decides that she's not good enough for the world, so she's going to start trying to kill herself and stuff like that. So I took the kids, moved in with Michelle up in Ogden, and started going to court for custody, for all this, for this and that. And finally, for after... Two and a half years of fighting in court in two th in May of 2011, Melissa was seeing a guy who claimed to be some kind of weird lawyer. Oh, he was a dumbass, but he told her to just give up because he's, I had possession. She was in and out of the hospital, and she wasn't going to win. So we walked into the court that day, and she told the told the judge that she gives up. She's done. He can have the kids. The divorce is done. What the hell kind of parent does that? It's definitely an unexpected plot twist. It was. And I I knew my ex was, I knew Melissa was crazy, but I didn't think she was dumb. And so that left it. I'm now May of 2011, 
and Michelle's divorce has been a long time ago. Well, fuck it, why not give it a, get another try? And <laughs> instead of getting on my knee and proposing, I just walked mm-hmm. into the house one day and said, hey, we're getting married. Let's set a date. Well, she was former Navy, and 11-11-11 that year was veteran. So we decided on 11-11-11. Everything was good at first when we moved in together and when we first got married. But then I've had a lifelong friend that her and I should have gotten together years ago, but didn't. I was seven years older than her. And back when she was 15, she expressed her love for me. And I'm like, no, 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 it's too young, too young, yada, yada. Well, we had gone back and forth, you know, been friends for a long time. She got married, had a couple kids. And she was having marital problems herself. We were really best friends, you know. But we had been talking about, well, if she leaves her husband, maybe I'll get together with her after all these years. You know, we talk about getting together just to get together for whatever, you know. You know, when you really want something for a really long time, then you get it. And you're really like, what the hell was I wanting for that for so long? (laughs) That's how it felt. I slept with her that night. It was, we both were like, what the fuck? And then it ruined our friendship. I ruined my marriage. I was in the process of ruining my marriage, ruining a friendship. And she wanted to ruin my marriages at the same time, even though her marriage was fucked already. So she tells my wife, my new wife at the time, that I had just slept with her. I'm like, nope, 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 nope. She's crazy. She's, she's not, she, it did never happen, never happened. I denied it the whole time. I always denied it. But my wife knew. I kept denying it. But finally, put it in the past and started moving forward. Uh, in 2015, we decided to buy a house. And we bought a house up in North Ogden. And I wasn't quite ready to buy a house because I wasn't quite 100% sure of our marriage and how it was. But I decided, okay, fine. I'll just do it anyway because... It's what's right to do. We need it. You know, we're living. I've got custody of my kids. She's, her kids are moving back in. We need a bigger place. So, okay, we went and bought a house. Um, her mom started having a bunch of health issues. So she was spending a lot of time with her mom. But then we, my father passed away. He hung himself in prison. And I got an inheritance from him. And the one thing that my father did was never go on adventures. He never took us on adventures. Never. So the inheritance I got from him we went on a cruise. Me and her went on a cruise. And this was the apex of our marriage. Everything was great. Everything was wonderful. It was an awesome time. Totally romantic. And I thought everything was grand and great. We come home and her daughter is strung out on, on drugs and her mom is getting sicker. She's spending a heck of a lot more time with her mom. She's not believing that her daughter's strung out even though I could tell because I've been there, I've done that. I've been that person that denied that I was using when I actually was. And she's coddling her daughter, not wanting to believe. And it's causing more and more issues in our marriage because 
I'm wanting to throw her daughter out of the house and she doesn't want to because she wants to keep her safe. And then her mom passes away. Now, in the meantime, we let my Melissa's sister and her husband move in with us. When me and Melissa got married, her sister was seven years old. When her dad passed away, she was 12 years old. And she became more of a daughter to us than anything else. So she moved, she, she was a lot like family. So I let Kristen, her sister, and her husband move in with us to help us out with around the house, help us out with the kids, help us out with rent, or they paid us rent and stuff like that. And everything was going all right. But then her mom passed away. And her mom was her best friend. She completely started shutting down when her mom passed away because that's who she went to talk to. If we were having issues, that's who she went to talk to. And it was becoming apparent that she couldn't handle the loss of her mom. And then in the process of this, a few months later, we find out that Kristen's husband is sexually molesting my daughter in our house. My daughter's 13 years old. How can I let something like this happen? How can I let something like this in front of my face in my own house happen when I'm sleeping? I had done everything for him. I got a job at where I was working. I, and this is how he repays me? I couldn't do anything but tell him to get the hell out of my house. He tried to kidnap my daughter. He got as far as Springville in a semi-truck and the highway patrol pulled him over. My daughter started blaming it on me. Just like everybody else blamed everything on me, this was my fault because she was in love with him. Well, she was young and dumb. Didn't know what to say, didn't know what to do. I, we got, me and my daughter got in arguments, got in fights. He is sitting in prison uh, or jail waiting going through sentencing and, or going through, he pled not guilty. And he wanted to blame it on me because I had such a bad temper and I was such an asshole to my kids and I, I didn't know how to be a father to my kids because I was gone all the time because, and I didn't know how to listen to them and yada, yada. You've heard all that about, this was all my fault. Him molesting my daughter was all my fault because he was trying to be there for be there for her because I was such an asshole and he was afraid of me because of my temper. Well, I've seen other people that are shitty to their kids, but then I don't, I didn't go molest their daughters, you know? He actually told the judge this was my fault because I took him out on the porch and said, fuck you. And I yelled at him. Now, uh, did you see how small of a guy I am? This guy stands six foot six and about 300 pounds. Why the fuck is he afraid of me? <laughs> he gets sentenced to prison finally. Me and my daughter's relationship. Rocky. Rocky. Very rocky. My wife is very closed down. Sexually, emotionally, everything. Just closed down. Where this sexual abuse closed her down. It completely skyrocketed my want and I just said, fuck it. I'm not finding anybody I could. Again. 
it wasn't just that I was having sex with other people. This was at the beginning of where these fake profiles and people would talk to you. Start, I started carrying out some pretty intense conversations with these fake profiles because it made me feel good because they told me what I wanted to hear. Now, I didn't get mixed up and send any of them money like that, but there was a couple of them that I got really, really close to. I mean, thinking back to this day, like, I'm probably close to some guys, or I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I was able to be me. I was able to have conversations. I was able to just relax and be who I wanted to be. And then I ran into another ex-girlfriend of mine, and we started having an affair, but I just didn't feel right about it. And I wanted to end it. Well, at this time, I took my youngest son out on the road with me for a trip to Maine and back. And on our way back, he sees my phone and sees that her name is Tammy. Hey, at least she wasn't an M. Uh, texts me and says, I love you and I miss you. My son sees this on my phone and tells my wife. I kept trying to deny it, kept trying to deny it, kept trying to deny it. Well, her brother, who is part Native American, just shows up to our house out of the blue. And as him and I are talking, we he was an awesome guy. You know, he would very deep conversationalist. Well, we decided to do this truth, Native American truth ceremony. And... I'm like, all right, we'll try it out. We'll see what goes on. Me, him, and her go out to the backyard, and we're doing this truth ceremony, and I'm just sitting there, buzz out of my gourd, not know what the hell's going on. They're having an issue between them that they're trying to fix between them about when their mom passed away that, you know. And I'm just sitting there, and all of a sudden, I feel this fire in my stomach. I can't figure out what it was. And I kept trying to push it down, push it down. The fire came up to my sternum, like a, like a inferno, you know, it just came get hotter and hotter. Finally, it comes up to my chest, and it's just like a volcano ready to explode. And then finally, I grabbed her and says, I cheated on you both times and even more. And that was the end. She told me to get the hell out of the house. We started going to counseling, uh, the counselors, the bishop, everybody was blaming me because she'd gone back to church and I was trying to make our marriage work so I went back to church too and the bishop just blamed me. Uh, I had to repent, I had to be put on probation, I had to this and that and I had to give her all my money and yada yada. And I'm like, why is it all my fault? She shut down, we tried to communicate. It even got to the point where I started going to Sexaholics Anonymous courses because she said I was addicted to sex because I wanted to touch my wife. We tried to work it out a little bit more, but then I found a chat room that I just really clicked in. Not a chat, chat room, a group that I really clicked in. And I had some really, I was flirting out in the open with a girl and this one girl ratted it to my wife even though everything was out in the open I wasn't doing anything this girl lived in California I lived here 
my wife sees this and says, that's it, we're done. And the night, I, the night I came home and she told me about that the, and said, that's it, we're done. It wasn't, I wasn't exactly upset. It was more like a relief. I packed up my stuff and left and didn't look back. But what the hell am I going to do now? I don't have a place to live. I don't have a car. I don't have anything. I've hit rock bottom. Another Jenga piece gone. What the hell am I going to do? Melissa is living with my mom. <laughs> yeah, Jerry Springer, right? <laughs> <laughs> Melissa is living with my mom. My mom needed a place to, needed help with, she's getting older. She needed help with bills and stuff like that. And Melissa needed a place to stay, so yada, yada. They moved, to, moved in together. My daughter had gotten mad at Michelle, so she moved back in with Melissa. My son, my youngest, went because he felt guilty for causing trouble in my marriage, went and, told, went and moved in. I had two choices when we separated. One was go back on the road. At least I had a place to live in the truck. Or two, I was working local at this time because in 2019, in November of 18, sorry, I came off the road to try to make my marriage work and spend more time with my kids. Well, spent more time with my kids to make my marriage work. So I either had the choice of going back on the road, which I was enjoying being local, or moving in with my first ex-wife and my mother. I chose moving in with my first ex-wife and my mother. 2019, I didn't give a fuck. I slept with everybody and anybody I could in any of the Utah groups, and I made a lot of enemies, a lot of people that still won't talk to me to this day because they didn't understand. I mean, even one girl who I took fishing up to Kazi Reservoir. You ever been up there? I haven't. I have, though. You yeah. Have yeah. You have no cell phone signal whatsoever yeah. up there. I took her up there, and she was pissed off because she didn't have cell phone signal. So we left. We slept together the day before. We left. I took her home, and that was the last I saw her. But all of a sudden, it's my fault. I started seeing this other girl, and things were getting kind of serious at the same time when... And we got in an argument about something, and I just shut down. I shut down completely. I wouldn't talk to her for a week. And finally, she'd come over to my house. She goes, you know, you preach about wanting uh, communication, but yet you didn't communicate. You didn't talk to me. What the hell are you doing? I can't do this. Christmas 2019 came, and you've read my poem about Christmas time blues. Everything blew up. Everything exploded. The Jenga puzzle just came crashing to an end. And from that, I knew I was in trouble, and I needed to fix myself because nobody else was going to fix it for me. So what you're saying is, this is the end of this part of the saga. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, there's been a couple of pauses uh, in between uh, AJ telling his tower story. Um, and Jeff and I aren't normally this quiet, but this, this is one hell of a tower story. Yeah. It's not from lack of wanting to come, and it's from lack of wanting to interrupt AJ. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like... 
I have a terror story. You've heard it. Jeff has a terror story. You've heard it. You've heard Ariel's story. But this, this is deep. This is incredibly deep. This is why I was afraid to tell people because I've been through a lot of stuff. I've done a lot of things. I've done a lot of cheating. I've done a lot of things that I shouldn't do. But I was so lost and confused and didn't know where I belonged in life. I've hurt a lot of people. I've been hurt. I've done the best I can to go back and apologize to people that I can, but some people I just can't. You know, Misty, we had a great, great friendship before all this happened, but now anytime I try to talk to her, she's just so closed off. And I tried to text her a few months ago because she, I don't remember what brought it up, but. I said something to her, she just didn't want to hear from me at all. And I, I'm going to send her this podcast when it comes out because I want her to know I'm extremely sorry for what I did to her because she was a, an, an amazing woman. And I'm glad that she found her happiness because she has a great husband now and she is extremely happy, had another kid with her ex, her husband now. And I'm extremely happy for her, but she... I talked to my therapist about all this. My, my oldest son won't have a thing to do with me. Some people just won't have a thing to do with me. Some people from the groups won't have a thing to do with me. And my therapist says it's because you see where yourself is and the fixing you're made. They still see this monster back here and won't look past that monster. And I was a monster. I was somebody I hated. I, I got to applaud you, man. It, it's one hell of a story, and it's definitely taken brass balls to express this journey. You know, I mean, that must, like, I can only imagine, like, how difficult it was to sit there and, like, just spill out everything. But I said, I'm, I'm proud of you with this. I mean, you're sitting there, I'm like, there's a lot of, you know, hard things that are going on here. But throughout this story, like, you're taking accountability and saying, like, here, here's my part in this. And I know, like, Throughout this, there's everybody every which way. Because this is, you know, the thing that we're seeing. It's like accountability holds so much weight. And you've seen, like, throughout your entire life, all of these people that are, you know, just doing these horrible, horrible things and hurting all of these people. And they're pointing fingers every which way. It's this person's fault, that person's fault. It's your fault. Yeah. Like, and, you know, with this, like, you, yeah. I mean, in the end, you, you, you can't control how other people choose to see you. But being able to sit there and say like, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to own my part in this story. I'm owning my bullshit. Like I realized the Jenga tower fell. I have to make a change. Like I can like I can take accountability for my part of this. I can admit where I went wrong. I can I can do better. Yeah, and that's that's the biggest thing is owning up to all my shit over the years has been the hardest thing since 2019. Owning up to it, but I've had to own up to it and apologize to those that I can. And even if they don't take the, the apology, then it's no longer on me. It's on them. Because I've done what I can. I can't change what I did, but all I can do is make myself better going forward. The one thing I didn't do 
throughout this whole time was my self-esteem, my self-confidence, everything was completely shot because I didn't believe in myself. And that's why I got that after my best friend. I got a tattoo saying, believe in yourself. I got that after my best friend passed away in March of this past year. But that's one thing he used to always tell myself. When I got down on myself, believe in myself. Believe in who you are. As interesting as this fall story is, uh, I can't wait to hear the rise. It's <laughs> going to be one hell of a journey, I can already tell. Yes. Well, guys, I think that's going to be the conclusion of this, the fall of AJ. Yes. Jeff, is there anything you'd like to add? Just that take a lot of guts and say, you know, there, it's never too late for salvation. And the story that you've told, like you taking accountability, realizing it's time to make a change. Like, you're going to get there. But you've seen throughout your story, like, everybody that would not take accountability was pointing the fingers every which way and making excuses. Like, not a single one of those people, like, wound up in a good place. Yeah. So. And that's why that card, when you pulled that card and said what it was, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the first... The, nothing ever changes until you get to the point where you realize I am tired of my own bullshit. Yes. And that's exactly where it was. I got tired of my own bullshit, tired of causing pain, causing issues and had to make a change. And that's when you got to own it. That's when the progress happens. Well, guys, that is the end of this episode for now. So this is the end of our fall part of the series here. Uh, up next is going to be the rise of Jeff. It will be my rise story, <laughs> followed by Ariel. And then we'll have AJ back to tell the rise of AJ. And then after that, I would really like to get all four of us together and share what sharing our stories has meant for us, any feedback we've gotten, and just kind of express it to wrap up the season for Phoenix Rising. Absolutely. Awesome, awesome. Uh, please do not forget, you can reach out to us via email, via phone. I will put the number in the description of this podcast. You can leave voice messages. Uh, we are down to do more listener mail episodes. We just need the questions. And once you guys hear this, just know I'm here to talk to anybody. It's I'm open to talk to anybody about anything. I've been through it. I know what you're going through. This <laughs> is a, it's going to empower a lot of people, man. Oh, yeah. It's impossible not to be empowered by hearing that and not want to own your shit. Yes. All right, guys. Well, this is Bishop. And this is Jeff. AJ. And we will catch you on the next episode. <laughs>